All right, good morning. We are extremely glad you are here today, and I hope you'll do exactly what our new slide says. That if you have a smart device, you'll open that smart device and go to your YouVersion app and go down to more and hit events so you can better get a handle on the truth we want to teach. And here's the deal. You know, today in Genesis chapter 3, that's a pretty common theme that we hit around in Dorisville. Um, is this idea, the story of Genesis chapter 3. And what the app will do today is help you to get a handle and remember what we're going to talk about. Because that is so um, important. Well, you've probably been wondering if you've been on Facebook or whatever and you saw the title So Long Andy and you're wondering, huh, what? Well, again, it's the second week in our Graves to Gardens and I really could have called the sermon today um, Graves into Gardens, but hey, I figured we might as well have just a little bit of fun and the whole thing is celebrating the goodness of the only one who can and God is the only one who can turn graves into gardens. Well, you've heard the story before. In fact, we all, we have our own Dorsville version. Now, I won't share, but we do have our own Dorsville version. But you know, the little kid went to Sunday school and that particular day, his teacher was talking about the names of God. And so, one little girl raised her hand and said, oh, we call God Father. And she goes, oh, that's exactly right. And then, then another little boy raised his hand and said, oh, we call God Creator. And that's exactly right. And we call God Almighty. That's exactly right. And so, finally, a little boy raised his hand and said, well, his name is Andy. And, and the teacher goes, huh? Andy? He said, yeah, yeah. Well, honey, where did you learn that? Oh, I learned it in worship. It's that song that we sing. Andy walks with me, Andy talks with me. Yeah, see, it still, it still gets a life. laugh. That's what's really great. It really, because it's just funny. Our version is, you know, Howie Price, you know. The reason he's called Howie is, is because they sang, Oh, Howie loves you and me. And Howie went and said, Well, who is Howie and why does he love us so much, you know. So it's just fun. It's just great. But here's the thing. That brings laughter to us, but the truth of that brings sorrow. It brings sorrow. Today's message is about the time in the garden when the garden became a grave. Um, in fact, when the garden became a cemetery uh, because death occurred there. And, and it's humorous here, but the, the fellowship and relationship with God was broken. And, and it broke, you know, broke humanity um, in the process. But, you know, I don't want to give you a history lesson. That's the last thing I want to do. And, and for some of you, you say, oh, I've heard Genesis 3. And my goal today is to give you some new twists and turns um, that will help you grow. And the biggest one is this. You know, not only, not only did Eve say, so long, Andy, when she chose sin over obedience, we do it in our lives. This is, a, this is not history lesson. This is current events. This is current events. You, know, you have class in, in high school, current events. Well, this is a current event for us because there's been a time in our lives when we've all said, so long, Andy. There's a time when we were walking close to God and all of a sudden we realized we weren't. There's a time when, when time in His Word was great and sweet and all of a sudden we weren't picking up the book anymore. There was a time when, whether it was driving down the highway or, or, or in our quiet room or where we were and we would talk to God and all of a sudden we... But talking. There's a time when we really wanted to be obedient, and all of a sudden we chose disobedience, and things just weren't the same. And we said, So long, Andy, to God. So as we look at Eve's events and, and story in Genesis 3, we want to make sure we bring it up out of the ancient history into the 21st century and see how, one, it might apply in our lives, but two, how we can keep it from applying 
to our lives. So our scripture starts out in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. And it, and it says there, it says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now, now here's the deal. Our first thought is, and, and what's mine for such a long time too, is that this serpent was some kind of a special creature that was just evil. And that is not true. So if you're taking notes, you're going to write that down right now, okay? In fact, when you know the serpent was a created being, it's one of those created beings when God looked at creation and said, it's good. It's good. So the serpent was not evil in its nature at all. It was just a creation of God. And it was a gifted creation of God because the Bible says it was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And we know that about snakes. You know, I don't I never knew. Brent, I never knew what that song from the 70s said. I don't like spiders and snakes, and that ain't what it takes to love me. I never knew what that meant, and I still don't know. But I know this. I don't like spiders, and I don't like snakes. And they're cunning. They'll, they'll slither around in between rocks, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you know, there it is. And so it's a very cunning. It's giftedness was cunning, was slyness, okay? So, so here we have a created being that God said was good, and his giftedness was cunning, all right? So understand that's neutral. That's neutral. We have a good creation that has a giftedness, but here's the deal. It was used by Satan. So my thought is, don't be a snake. Don't be a snake. Because, see, God wants to use you as a weapon to hurt God, as a tool to advance his work. So we got to be careful. we got to be careful. Eve, for whatever reason, really don't know the reason, you know, fell into this trap. But we're wiser because we have the word, complete word of God. So be careful. Be careful when you're doing life. You know, if Satan walks up and kind of talks to you, be very, very careful. Be very careful. Now, what happens is, and again, we don't know. We don't know if animals talk then. We don't know um, if, if Eve didn't know snakes weren't supposed to talk. We don't know any of that. But the bottom line is, he talks. So he takes this creation of God that has giftedness and, and says to the woman, he said, Satan said, through the snake, said this, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Do you see this, how subtle that is? Did God really say that? He doesn't, there's not a direct attack. Ooh, this is good. There's not a direct attack against Eve, and there's not a direct attack against God. You know, Satan just appears inquisitive. Did God really say? If he was talking, Jonathan, if he was talking today, he might say something like this. Hey, listen, I've heard. I've heard that God said. Um, he might say this. You know, word on the listen, word on the street is that God said you can't eat from any of the trees. Is that true? Is that true? So it was so subtle that he said that. All right. So my teaching point, first one is this: never talk to a snake. Never talk to a snake. If something in your spiritual life doesn't seem right, be careful. He is so. Subtle. He's so subtle. I told a story in the, in the first service. I'm at the end of the service, but really I had intended to put it here about a man who was going up a mountain. And as he went up the mountain, it got colder and colder and colder. And as he gets up near the top of the mountain, he looks down and there's a snake, a cold-blooded reptile, and the snake could not move. 
And so like our story from the Bible that is true, in this story that's not true, the snake said, hey, would you help me? Would you help me? Um, I, it's so cold, I can't move. I can't get down the mountain. Would you please pick me up and carry me down the mountain? And the man said, are you kidding me? You're a rattlesnake. You're a poisonous snake. And if I do that, you're going to bite me as soon as it gets warm. Oh, no. No, the snake said, I will not bite you. I promise I will not bite you. Just pick me up. Take me down the mountain. I'll leave as soon as I get warm. So the man picks him up. Puts him inside his coat to warm him up. He goes down the mountain. And as it gets warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer, all of a sudden he feels a bite as the snake bites him. And he pulls the snake out of his, out of his jacket and throws it down and says, You said you would not bite me. And the snake said, You knew what I was when you picked me up. Know who and what Satan is. No matter how sweet he sounds, no matter the promises that he makes, just remember his nature and character is he is a snake. So don't talk to snakes. Proverbs 13, 20 says this. Walk with the wise and you'll become wise. In other words, walk with God and you'll be godly. Walk with the wise God and you'll be wise. You'll make better decisions. You'll have less consequences. Life will be better for you. But then he says this. Associate with fools and you'll get in trouble. It's true practically. If you're, if you're a student here, it really does matter who you hang out. In fact, whoa, whoa, let's just back up. If you're breathing today, that's a good practical truth. You need to be careful who you hang with, okay? Hang with the wrong men, and guys, they'll lead you down the wrong path. Hey, ladies, hang with the wrong lady. Hey, students, hang with the wrong students, and you'll get into trouble. So we got to be careful. And I'll say this. We should never undermine, uh, underplay the power of Satan. Now, our God is, like, incredibly strong, but don't underplay Satan. Okay, he's a formidable foe that we can have victory over because of Jesus Christ. But the most dangerous fool, the most dangerous fool is Satan. And if you mess with him, you will get into trouble. If you go up to him under your own power, you will get into trouble. If you listen to him, you will get into trouble. You say, well, Dwayne, why do you say Satan's the most dangerous fool? He was foolish because he... Most Some theologians believe that according to the scriptures in the Old Testament that he was probably a worship leader in heaven before he fell. And he got so full of himself, prideful, that he decided he wanted to be like God. That will sound familiar in a moment. Okay? He wanted to be like God and God threw him out of heaven. Okay? And it's a foolish thing to go up against God and think you can win. It's a foolish thing to go up against God and think that you can could win. So don't talk to snakes. Don't talk to them. Be alert, alert, aware, and alert. Okay, in verse 2 and 3, the woman responds. Remember I said, don't talk to snakes. When something doesn't seem right, when something is, puts a twist or an angst in your spirit, be aware of that. Be aware of that. So the woman, maybe perhaps to defend God, maybe to set Satan right, uh, maybe to set the record straight, okay, the woman said to the serpent, now, now, now here's what she did. When she paused and talked, she gave Satan an opportunity. All he was wanting was for her, if she'd kept right on walking, different story. 
what he wanted was to, to get her attention. He's wanting to hook her. Did God really say that you can't eat of any of the trees? He was trying to hook her. If you've been to a party, you perhaps have heard of icebreakers. He was trying to break the ice with Eve to get her to listen, to engage her in a further conversation. And it worked. So she says, the woman said to the serpent, oh no, 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 we, we, we can eat from the fruit of the trees. Paul wrote in the, in the book of Ephesians, to Ephesians 4, 27, he said this, he said, don't give an opportunity to Satan. Don't give an opportunity to Satan. And when, when she chose to stop, and when she responded, regardless of the reason, she gave Satan an opportunity. Now, let me ask you a question. Where in your life are you giving Satan opportunities? Is it the sites you visit? Is it the channels you watch? Is it the people you hang with? Is it the way you spend your time? Is it the priorities that you assign in life? What is it that you might be giving Satan the opportunity he needs to get you to fail? Okay, what well, we see with Eve. The woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat. He wanted to help, you know, defend God. You know, we may eat of the fruit from the trees in the garden. And then she went further in verse 3. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you know, one tree that God said, don't eat. God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. And that sounds so good and it sounds so innocent. Here's a good word. But it is fatally flawed. There is death in that verse. Do you see it? Do you know it? You must not eat it. God said that. It's recorded in Genesis. He said it. You must not eat the tree in the middle of the garden. What he did not say is touch it. Doesn't that sound innocent? You know, just add a little bit to the word of God. Just put a, a twist. We don't know. We don't know if Satan. We don't know if Adam said to Eve, "You know, honey, I know your propensity here. You're maybe just a little weak. So let me tell you this. I know God said don't eat it, but listen to me. Don't touch it either. And maybe she took Adam's word as law, as God's word. Uh, maybe she came up with it. Maybe she knew her weakness and said, "You know what? I I shouldn't eat this. In fact, let's just make a rule. I won't touch it either." And the problem is. She equated that addition to the Word of God. And when you add to the Word of God, you're not going to get in trouble. You are in trouble. Too, too often today in churches, we take tradition and make it the Word of God. Don't do that. Don't, you don't need to add to the Word of God, and you don't need to take away from the word of God. And this is more this is more common than you think. You know, have you heard have you heard the saying cleanliness is next to godliness? Well, exactly as that. It's a saying, but I've heard I've heard I've heard people say, "Well, you know the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness." Well, it might be okay to be clean, but that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. Um um, you know, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Yeah, well, that's not in the Bible either. Money is the root of all evil. 
Well, that one's not there either. Oh, wait, Dwayne, I remember, I remember. Uh, no, you don't. Because the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. But again, we leave a word out. And it sounds really good. Money is the root of all evil. And so, so we add to the word of God, and those are points of death. Those are points of death. So here's the deal. Here's the teaching point. It's a great thing to quote the word of God. It's a wonderful thing to quote the word of God. In, in Psalm 119, 105. Now, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. So, so yes, we need to know and absorb and apply the word of God. It's a light for us that we can clearly see how to walk and how to live. Uh, over in Psalm 119, uh, uh, verse number 11, the psalmist says this, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So it's a great thing to quote. And well, remember when Jesus was in the wilderness, Brent? Remember that in Luke chapter 4? And when Satan tempted him, what did he say? It is written. It is written. He responded with the word of God. So this is great, but watch what follows. It's great to quote God's word, but be sure you get it right. I'm not talking about... I'm talking to Bryn, and one of the verses I kind of know from memory, I said, you know, I don't need it quite right. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we take the word of God and twist the truth. We tweak the truth. And that's when it really gets dangerous. So we need to quote God's word. We need to absorb God's word. We need to apply God's word. But we really need to get it right. The truth of God's word, we need to get it right. So, so when it comes to rockets and truth, accuracy matters. When it comes to rockets and truth, accuracy matters. What do I mean, Dwayne? Well, you know, let's say, for instance, I'm shooting at a target. And I'm 100 yards away. If I shoot at the target, and I'm just one degree off, just one degree off, minuscule amount. You know, there's 360 in a circle. So just a minuscule amount off. When the bullet gets to the target 100 years, 100 years, 100 yards away, it will be off by 5.2 feet. So I aim for the target. I'm off just a little bit. It's going to be off by 5.2 feet. What if I'm an airline pilot? And I'm leaving Washington, D.C., and, and I'm flying to Los Angeles, and I put in all the codes. Oops, I was off by one degree. Surely it won't matter, right? Yeah, you'll miss the airport by 46 miles. 46 miles. Oh, let's go to the moon. So we fly off into the moon, and oops, we're off by one degree. Yeah, that would be 1,469 miles. I'm sorry, is that right? Yeah. 4,169, 4,169 miles, one degree. Want to fly to the closest star besides the sun? Off one degree, 441 billion miles off. So is accuracy important? Yes, if you're a brain surgeon, it certainly is. And if it's rockets, yes, it is. But when it comes to the Word of God, it needs to be accurate. That's why we've got these students of the Word of God. We Listen, we've got to know what this book says. I mean, this is the book of life, but we've got to know what it says. You've got to teach your kids. 
I mean, we teach them about, and excuse me, please, we teach them about sports. They know all the rules. They know all the regulations, all of that. What do they know about this? This will save their lives. It will save your life. Matters. In truth. And in rockets. Well, in verse number four, the serpent, the snake, Satan, changes his technique. He went from subtle. Did God really say? And now he's bolder. Remember, he's hooked her. He's got her engaged in a conversation. So now he can be more blatant. He can be more bold in his attack. And here's what he says. No! You will not certainly die. Now remember, Eve said, well, we can't eat it or touch it or we'll die. And Satan blatantly says, do you know what? God is a liar. God is a liar. You will not die. And he goes from this subtle attack to this blatant, bold attack. You will not certainly die. And then he takes it one step further. And this is where it's going to get us. He will... And I'm saying we, he will, us. He will, us. He'll get us to doubt God. You know, his lies can be a factory for for doubt and unbelief. If he can get us to believe one of his lies, God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. God didn't forgive you. The gospel's not real. You know, God's not important. God's not relevant in the world you live in today. You'll be unpopular. People will laugh at you. If he can get you to doubt, believe that lie, then we'll doubt God. So then he goes up one step further. He says, in fact, he says, not only is God a liar, but God is holding back on you. Oh, he talks a good game, Satan would say. He talks about how good he is. But if he's so good, why are you hurting if he's so good, why is your life so bad? If he's good, why did you lose your marriage? If he's good, why did you lose your children? If he's good, why does he allow all this crazy evil in the world? See, he, he's God's holding back. He says, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He was really right. You know, if they ate it, they would know good and evil, just like God. But see, God knew it without experiencing it. And if they ate it, they would experience good and evil. They would experience evil in a horrible way they could never imagine. And guess what? If you listen to him, you're going to experience evil in a way you never imagined. He will tell you, he will tell you that there will be no regrets. He'll tell you there will be no consequences. That no one will know. That God will understand. He'll tell you all that mess. But he's a liar. What do liars do? They lie. In fact, in fact, the Bible says our next teaching point, you know, John 8, 44, it says this, that when he got Jesus speaking, when he lies... He speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of it. So, here's what you need to know. When this snake shows up and tries to engage in a conversation, you need to know from the onset, wait a minute, this don't feel right. This, this doesn't light up with this. 
Okay? You need to understand. You need to understand. You need to get it. You need to get it well that everything Satan says to you is going to be a lie. He is a liar. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of it. Leaves hooked now. Ever been hooked before? Ever, ever stayed in a situation just a little bit longer than you should have? Ever, men, ever stayed at the water cooler just about five minutes too long? Hey, ladies, ever stayed at the water cooler about five minutes too long? And you find yourself hooked. You find yourself in a terrible situation. And you find, you find, you find yourself rationalizing. It doesn't matter. It's okay. God understands. I'm only human. I deserve this. Well, that's what Eve does. In verse number 6, the woman said or saw that the tree was good for food. It was practical. She looked at the tree and said, you know, I know we've got these other trees, but boy, this tree looks the best. And Satan will convince you, okay, that you have a practical need for what he wants you to do. A practical need. It's good for food. Um, it's delightful to look at. You know, sin's not attractive because it's not fun. Sin, generally speaking, is fun. And Satan will remind you of that. Oh, it's so, it's such a delightful thing. And then he goes and says, and, and it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So it's practical, it's delightful, it's desirable. And as she talks herself into this, Satan stands by and smiles. Satan stands by and smiles. You know what's crazy? In 1 John chapter 2, things don't change. Here we are thousands of years later. And here's what John the Apostle wrote in 1 John 2.16. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. It tasted good. A craving for everything we see. It was delightful to look at. And pride in our achievements and possessions. I would be like God. See, it hasn't changed. That's why we can bring it to current events. It hasn't changed. Satan will convince you that it's a practical thing, it's a delightful thing, and it's a desirable thing. So what did she do? So, so she took some of its fruit. Can we back up just a minute? Do you remember when I taught you at the beginning of the message how Eve said, Oh, God said we can't eat it or... Touch it. Because we're going to die. Well, as she looks at this fruit, she reaches out to take it, and to take it, she had to touch it. And as she touches it, she doesn't die. And she says to herself, hmm, wasn't true after all, was it? So once she took it and touched it and didn't die, the only logical thing was what? To eat it. Because, you know, apparently God is holding back, and apparently God is a liar because he, the way I understand he said it, however she got it, in her mind it was the word of God, you know, I, if, I, if I eat it or if I touch it, I'm going to die. Wait, I touched it and I didn't die. See, God will, Satan will lead you on a path, and if the consequences don't fall immediately... We believe his lie. And marriages die. And relationships die. Character dies. And testimonies die. 
She took it and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. I know it's crazy. What is he doing standing there? Why aren't you being the man? Why aren't you being the leader? So our teaching point is this. You've got to remember this. The best salesman in the world, the best salesman in the world lives between our ears. We, listen to me, we can convince ourselves that anything is okay. I want to tell you, you don't want buyer's remorse. All of us have bought something. We bought a car. The salesman was good. We wanted it bad, and we bought it. We bought a new TV. We bought a computer. We couldn't afford it, yet we convinced ourselves we needed it. And you had buyer's remorse. You take it back to the store. You take it back to the dealership. Can I return this? No, it's too late. It's too late. So the best salesman in the world, the one who will convince you you need it, lives between your ears. And you know and I know, we can convince ourselves of anything. We can convince ourselves we need it and that we deserve it. Well, it goes on. In 2 Corinthians 11.2, it's a great verse. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. That's why it's called Corinthians. And he said this, But I fear, but I fear, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and devotion, pure devotion to Christ. I, I, I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And may I be honest, I fear that for me. But can I be more honest? I fear that for you. I am so afraid in this crazy, mixed up, upside down can't spell morality world that Satan is going to deceive us and pull us away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We've got to be, we've got to be so careful. Well, Dwayne, it can't happen to me. Really? Honestly, do you want to say that? If it could happen to a woman, a perfect woman, living in a perfect environment, in ultimate close proximity to a perfect God, if it can happen to her, do you think it can happen to you? You know when this letter was written? 20 to 25 years, two decades after the death of Christ. Two decades. I mean, the, the story was fresh. And yet Paul writes and says, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm worried that, that Satan is going to do this cunning thing on your mind. And you're going to be seduced from, a, uh, seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ just 20 years after the death of Jesus. If it can happen to a church like that, do you think it can happen to a church like this? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Be careful. Be careful. Uh, watch out for the little things that are changing in your life. Attendance, priorities, those kind of things. Calendar. Just be careful of those things. Well, in verse number seven. So, 
The eyes of them both were open. Um, they, 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 I'm sure they had the buyer's remorse. Oh no, what have we done? Because all of a sudden they recognized things had changed. They recognized their sin. They recognized shame. They recognized guilt. And so what did they do? They tried to fix it. The Bible says, and I love this, they, they sewed fig leaves together. The first, the, first, the, first, the first thing they did was try to fix it. Isn't it funny how when we mess up with God, we try to fix it? It's called religion. I know, I know James says pure religion and undefiled. There is good aspects of religion. But in the world today, in most world today, you know, religion is man's, man's attempt to reach God, to fix it with God. In their case, they, they, they sew some leaves together to cover up their nakedness, to cover up their shame. They said, you know, this, this will do it. And guess what? It wouldn't do it. See, there's one fix. And it is the spilt blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died for broken men. That he could pay the price for their sin and then offer them the forgiveness of their sins. When we're willing to turn away from our sin and choose to follow Christ, believing what he did by faith, then we can have eternal life. But they did what we do. They come into my office and preach I need religion. I'm going to start coming back to church. Somebody told me that this week. I'm going to come back to church, preacher. That's good. That's noble. But it won't fix the problem. Your relationship, having a relationship with Jesus fixes the problem. And maintaining your fellowship with Jesus fixes the problem. Oh, oh and don't forget, don't talk to snakes. Don't talk. So our teaching point, in a moment, in a moment, the garden became a cemetery. That day, Adam and Eve spiritually died. And, and, and their bodies began to die. And, and, and sickness and brokenness and pain and sorrow came into the world. The garden became a cemetery. See, see God can take graves in the gardens, but Adam and Eve took a garden and made it a grave. A cemetery. Their fix was to try CPR. You know, when something's dying, what do you do? You do CPR. Christless, powerless religion. If you're listening on Facebook or if you're in this room, you don't need religion. You need Jesus. And if you've walked away from God, you don't need religion. Some people say this, I'll, I'll, I'll attend church more. Even once you're saved, I'll attend church more. That's great. We want you to come to church. But the answer is repentance of your sins through Jesus Christ, whether it's salvation or sanctification. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Well, verse 8. They learned a very important, I hope you learned this lesson today. And I hope, I know they learned it that day. That, listen now, that life in the cemetery, life without Andy is vastly different than life with Andy. Life in the cemetery is vastly different than life in the garden. It's just different. If you're here without Christ, you understand that. Your, your life, you're, you may have sensed the point you're going, man, I need, I need something. And by the way, that something you need is Jesus. 
But, but you know what I'm talking about. If you're a Jesus follower and, and you kind of like walked away from God, you know your life is different. You used to crave the Bible and you don't crave anymore. You used to crave pray and you don't pray. You, know, you used to crave church and all of a sudden church just isn't important anymore. We lost a lot of good people through COVID. They simply said, you know what, I'm not sure I need church anymore. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. And they're going to realize that life in the garden is gone. And now there's life in the cemetery. And the Bible says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. So, so just like every day, just like every day, God shows up. God shows up. It's amazing. And they used to look forward to it. They used to wait for the evening breeze when God would show up. And they would walk with him. And he walks with me. And he talks But this time, this time, they hid. This time, they were afraid. And they hid amongst the trees. That's how life is when you tell Andy, see you later. So long. (laughs) Goodbye. It was true for Eve and consequently, our parents, Adam and Eve, they passed that along through the eons of time that the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous. No, not one. We've passed that along. But God made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross that we could say not so long, Andy, but the father could say, welcome home, son. Come home, son. The father waits with his arms wide open to invite you back home again. He does that because he loves us. But here's what you need to know. If you're a Jesus follower, and either somewhere in your recent past or distant past, or maybe in in, in your present, that you've kind of walked away from God, you're still here, or maybe you're listening on Facebook, you're here... But you know things aren't the same. The same grace that saves a man and a woman in salvation is the same grace that you'll find when you come home. You listen to Satan. You walked away. Now the Father waits to welcome you home. It's not so long, Andy, it's your Father saying, welcome. So so here's what I want you to take away today. First, of course, obviously, if you've never trusted Christ, uh, again, on Facebook or here, the first thing is, you know, Brent will be down front. And if you're here in the room, we would love to talk with you about that. And if you're on Facebook, we would love to talk with you about that, um, about what it means to have your sins forgiven, what it means to invite Jesus into your life. If, If you've already done that and you know you're a believer, but you also know you've been listening to the wrong voice and you may have found yourself being drawn away, uh, subtly and now maybe boldly drawn away um, from God, I want you to know you should, you should fear when Satan's talking to you. I, I, and I, you know, does that blow your mind I say that? You know what I'm talking about. When you're in a situation and he says, go ahead. That's not just your conscience. That's Satan trying to draw you away. Because he knows if he can draw you away, he hurts the Father. And he hurts the kingdom. 
So if you find yourself in that way, don't allow yourself to be hooked. Don't allow yourself to have a conversation with a snake. Because every time, you'll get in trouble. Why don't you bow your heads, please? I hope this made sense today. And, and I hope it's I hope there's a, you know, there's a healthy fear. You know, there's a song in the 70s. You know, I don't like spiders and snakes. And that ain't what it takes to love me. I never knew what that meant. Still don't know what it means. I like the song. But I don't like spiders. And I don't like snakes. We need to have a healthy fear of Satan. Now, our God is greater. But we need to have a healthy fear of Satan. I hope you'll take that home. He wants to hurt you. You know, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is an enemy on mission. Be aware of that. And don't have a conversation. Thanks, God, for this privilege. Thank you, Father, for the chance to share. Oh, stick this in our hearts, God. Don't let Satan steal it away. If there's someone here who needs Christ, whether on Facebook or here in the room, may today be their day. And then, Father, help all of us, all of us, all of us to never tell you goodbye, but keep you close in our hearts. And Jesus, I pray this in your presence.